Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. First off, I'd like to give a huge thank you to all of my patrons for supporting the show and making it possible. Big thanks to Callum, Matthew, Jay, Paul, Tavernot, Carol, Benjamin, Fernando, Justin, Matt, and Joaquin. If you'd like to support the show, want a shout out on my next episode, or want an inside scoop on upcoming guests, consider joining. You can find the link in my link tree or by heading to patreon.com slash hn, the number two, DM. Remember that 10% of my ad and patron money goes to support local LGBTQ plus youth via Encircle. Check out my link tree for more information. Another quick announcement that's super exciting. My friend Matthew and I, as I've told you before, have been working on a Too Hot One Shot, which is a one-shot Kickstarter project. It involves spicy food and some fun homebrew rules, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I'm really excited to share it with you all. So it's been approved by Kickstarter. All you need to do is head to my link tree, uh, and it'll be the first link in my link tree on the uh the project page so you can go there you can click notify me on the launch and then we'll send you an email as soon as it's launched but yeah the more interest we can drum up the more people we can get to follow the project and to share the project with other people the better it's going to be so i really want to you know broaden my content creation horizons and this is kind of my first step my first attempt into doing this is uh this two hot one shot you know trying out kickstarter trying my hand at some game design so yeah i'd love to have you all follow it if you could and then when it comes out, you know, I'll be announcing that. And I'd love it if you guys would consider throwing a few dollars at it uh, and playing it at home with your own friend group or, or playing it online with your own friend group. That'd be awesome. Uh, again, that's in my link tree. It'll be the first link. Thanks so much for indulging me, taking a little bit of time out of your day to do that. It means a lot. And uh, if you would also share it with your followers or friends and family, that would mean a lot as well. Okay, now let's get to this week's guest announcement. Chef Mike Harris is a lifelong nerd and TTRPG player whose love for games continues on today when he's not thinking up awesome new recipes for your favorite restaurants or showing the internet how to make butterboards, he's running games in his basement for his local group. We chatted about some of his best and worst moments behind the screen, game night snacks, fast food mascots, and more. Enjoy! Hello everyone out there. My name is Chef Mike Harris. I am a research and development chef, a career path you probably did not know existed, but all your favorite chain restaurants and supermarkets and retail products need to be made and invented by somebody. And those somebodies are people like me. Went to culinary school, did all that fun stuff, worked for McDonald's for a while, Left McDonald's, was in some Wendy's commercials for a little bit. Yeah. Pandemic time, was a consultant. And now uh, for the last couple months, I work for Univar Solutions, a company nobody's ever heard of unless you're in the biz. And they are a huge global supplier of all kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, but my love for D&D uh, started way early. My actual introduction was HeroQuest. So my mm. brother, my dad, we used to uh, play HeroQuest back in the day first, which... I did order the re-release, so I do have, yeah. I think it was last year maybe, they remade the whole game and all the expansions, and I, I quickly picked that up, but 
Uh, then I snuck in my brother's friends game. I think at the time, I think it was second edition. I think I we remember it correctly. Cause of the character classes, each had their own book. Uh-huh. Which I think once you got to third edition, it was a little more. I know there was like complete. Not to age you, but was it pre two thousand? It was pre two thousand. Yeah, so it would have been AD and D. Yep. Um. So did that for quite a while. Then I went also video games galore the entire my entire existence. I am thirty eight, so I'm an old man. <laughs> went through college, did all that fun stuff. Then probably playing one game now for eight years so for the last eight years been hitting D D heavy i play in a 3.5 edition and then seven and a half or six or maybe six years ago i started my own homebrew 5e campaign so i do dm a fifth edition game as well that we're the kind of people that try to play once a month so we'll play one six seven hour session and the older we get and the more family kids are acquired and life sometimes it's like every five weeks sometimes it's like every six weeks but we get it done we are very happy and excited when we get things going also a big lover of the things like critical role i've been a fan since season one so og first of all before it was a big thing And to prove that, there is a story I'll tell you later about how I tried to convince McDonald's to invest in Critical Role during the first season before all the boom. And they did not listen to me, of course, because (laughs) they never do. You've made the joke about steering such a big ship, right? Like, it's pretty hard to move such a huge multinational company around like that, I'm sure. You think you have a cool position and all that, and then when you try to actually influence things, they're like, who are I have? You have no authority. Okay, this is a whole lot of fun. And then I was on Dragon Talk, the official D&D podcast once. Yep, yep. Played uh, a couple games with like B Dave and oh, love B Dave, you know, some other stuff around there. I was on the Wizards of the Coast like mailer where I got the cool stuff. I fell off that list. I don't get sent all the cool stuff, so I have to buy it, which is perfectly fine. Uh, I support the game as well. Yeah. And all that led us to here right now. Yeah, here we are. We'll have to see if Greg and Shelly can get you back on the list. I'm sure they would. Right. You, know, you just probably have to reach out to them. It is unpaid things. You send me a book. I will tweet. I will post on every platform. Give me the info. I will promote the hell out of it just for, for the book. Sweet. That's uh, th- There you go. If you're looking for someone to promote stuff. Shout out. All right. So you said you started running a game in 5th edition a certain number of years ago, sometime yeah. in the past decade or so. So, yeah, how did you decide you wanted to start running games for people? Do you remember your first session and kind of how it went? Oh, absolutely. So, was playing the 3.5 edition with the friends while also, like, I still got 5th edition books just because I liked having them, but never was active in a game or anything like that, just because I eventually wanted to do that. So, we started talking with our group of friends. We're like, you know what? I'd love to DM a game. And the thing that will make all the hardcore wizard raw fans mad is I am horrible at the D&D lore and remembering anything at all whatsoever. So even the 3.5 game I play in with another DM, we are so heavily homebrewed that it's like 
oh, what do you think of, you know, TMR, the new, you know, setting? I'm like, I, I mean, I'll use it as a reference, but all the games I play are very homebrew. Now, that's not mm-hmm. to say I don't read all the books, use it as reference. I might take a description of a city in the book and use it in my place. So like, oh, I'm looking for a city that's inhabited by these types of people in this kind of setting. And there's so much stuff in the books I could pull from, but I just changed the name. Another reason for that is two of my players are the players who can tell you what page the rule is on and knows everything about every enemy already. So changing those so that somebody who's super smart can't use that metagaming as a tool. Not that they necessarily would, especially these two players, because they are fantastic, but it alleviates some of those issues that I had uh, was thinking would happen. (laughs) Yeah, and honestly, as a person who, I'm not going to claim I know every monster, but I know the popular ones, and when people homebrew and I face them and they're different, it's fun, right? Because it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, they're different. They don't, you know, they're not exactly as I expect them to be I think it just makes it more fresh and interesting, too, when you add a little bit of spice in there. And there's a lot of different ways to have fun then, because if you do change something and they're like, nah, this character, I'm pretty sure is a fiend and what I'm doing will work. And I'm like, actually, the name might be the same, but this is a totally, here's the visual, here's the background. They're like, oh, here we go. (laughs) got to find it out again. Love it. That's fun. Cool. So having run games for a while now, uh, what do you feel like are some of the worst mistakes you've made or examples that stick out of how not to DM that people could learn from? Don't try to DM in a way that isn't already your style. So for instance, when I, you talked about day zero, got backstories from all of my players and did all of this thing. And then I dove in and created pages of content about the cities and people who inhabited them and exactly what would be in the shop if they go visit the shop. And all of these scenarios that later on when you're DMing, you will find out a lot of times they don't even bother going down the path you would assume. Yeah. At the same time, if you are not good at riffing, at making things up, you're going to want to prep as much as humanly possible, knowing that there's all these different paths and branches to get to. So there is something to be said of figure out your DM style and you will not know what you like until you just dive into it. I think that makes some DMs reluctant to start a game. They're worried that they're, yeah. oh, what if I get the rule wrong or it's boring for the players or I say something hurtful or offensive or whatever it might be. And that gives people a little bit of stigma, but you could do what I do and just make it all up. (laughs) And then who's going to know you're not pulling it directly from the book. But I also surround myself with, you know, if there is somebody who's an expert player who's been playing for years and years, I ask them, Hey, what's the rule on that again? Cause I'm an idiot and I don't remember. So having a variety of players who are better than me, who are probably could DM or who have and are better DMs than me helps me to learn how to be a better DM by what's your feedback? How would you take care of this scenario? What's logical in this? Is this intelligence? Is this wisdom? What do you think? So really pulling on those types of people, if you're fortunate to get them in your group there. But I think you were talking about uh, like a day zero, very important just to understand the characters, learn what is appropriate for your table and for your group. 
I fortunately play with a bunch of close friends. So the, let's say there's inappropriateness that uh, we certainly wouldn't cross certain lines, but there's some back and forth that we can, we understand that we don't, we're not trying to be offensive. Yeah. If you are playing with random people, new people, those who have a very different personality, day zero is great to understand that is a topic we should not touch upon. We won't even encounter that. So I think that's a pretty big safety net, especially for a game like this, where you are trying to get emotional connection, passion. I want you to feel like the bad guy is coming for you. So if you put people in that scenario and then do inappropriate things that may be not comfortable for that player, it could be very uncomfortable. So that day zero and understanding who you're playing with and what's appropriate, very important for sure. Big time. Yeah. My group is mostly family and friends as well, right? And so we do get away with a little bit more banter and that kind of thing. But, you know, even with people you know really well, there's stuff you don't know about them that's important to dig into. So, yeah, great point. For sure. Uh, All right. What are some of your favorite memories from the games you've been either a player in or, or that you've run? Really fun stuff that happened, really funny stuff, or, you know, really emotional and meaningful stuff you've experienced? There was one game that I was playing where I did not have to say or do anything for about an hour. My players were just in character going back and forth. What are we going to do? Planning and talking, learning about their backstories in character. And I just sat there and listened. When it's on autopilot and the players are engulfed in what's going on, awesome. Less I got to do, the more involved they are, having a great time trying to figure things out. If you can get that kind of scenario in a game, fantastic. Another ridiculous thing that happened in the 3.5 game early on. So there is a couple. The lady plays a lot of D&D, brought in her boyfriend, who's now the husband. This was early on. He's also in my game. We played for a lot, but this was early on. Sometimes some people are just not paying attention or confused or learning about D&D and are just spacing so we calmed down an in-game scenario where we were in a like a um a big party or big function with aristocrats and we didn't want to cause a big scene because we knew the big bad was in there so we started getting a little rough up scuffled things calmed down we're like okay we're at a good place okay now it's your turn mikey i'm gonna glitter dust this dude in the face we're like what we just no this is what I'm doing. Are you? We just said, no, no, no. They're, they're messing with us. So then he glittered us this aristocrat in the face who was the big bad, causing this chain reaction of us going into jail and all this. And to this day, we're like, are you paying attention? Why would you? You just, everything was great. You re-. So um, those kind of scenarios are great. And then the last one in my 5e game, I found it incredibly important to try to get that emotional connection early on in a game. So you're like, oh, I can't believe that happened. Warnings for losing parental figures. So anyone who doesn't want to hear about this, take a, put your fingers in your ears for a minute. Made an in-game scenario where my brother was the player character who was Hondo Lone Star. You could imagine it is a Han Solo Lone Star type character. He was given up at an early age 
and lived on the land, hard life. Knew he had parents. The parents left a note. We had to give you away for your safety. Early on, this was maybe the second game. Some bad guy comes into town with a bunch of servants. He's treating really bad. I task them. So I always have like a job board, like in an RPG. You want to just earn some experience points or some money? Here's a little side quest you could do if you want to do that. And it was go steal something important from the aristocrat and then we're going to resell it. So my brother being the Hondo Lone Stars thief type uh, scoundrelish character went and stole a bunch of stuff from this wagon. Later finds out that it is his long lost mom is the servant took some very important pendant with a bunch of other stuff and they didn't see this, but she freaks out. Where's my pendant that reminded her of her son who is my brother. And then the scene where the mom is not doing well, gets back or dropped off into town. Hannah, something about Lone Star. Isn't that your name? And yada, yada, yada. Something happens in his arms and like the room, me trying to say it, we're all just like, holding back tears. It was, I could not believe that we got in that emotional space of like, I cannot believe this is just, just happened. I can't imagine what that feels like from that point on. If you want to talk about players fully invested in a game, wanting payback for the events that happened, that was a trigger to them of like, we are taking this serious and we are coming for payback. So yeah, those are three different ways to have so much fun in this game. Your entire game could be any of those scenarios. Somebody not playing glitter dust, domino effect of disaster. <laughs> it could be just fun, lighthearted. We're having a good time. Or it could be super emotional. A game could have all three of those, just one of those. And that's what I love about the game is it could be random things happening that give you that connection to it. So, Yeah, I mean, dozens if not hundreds of people have said this, right? But there's nothing quite like it out there, right? I've played video games. I've watched movies and shows and whatever else, but there's nothing quite like the magic of creating the stuff out of thin air at the table together. And it's certainly not for everyone. If you cannot like, that's true. I'm going to make this person's backstory. And obviously most of the time you're putting some personal elements in there or whatever that's what you're pulling on or a complete opposite character of you that you may want to be that you've never even thought, how do those people think? And, but if you could get that connection to the character, write the backstory, you spent all that time doing, you spent energy and mind power creating it. You don't want a TPK and your whole team loses. That would be, I spent all this up. So you are already invested in some manner into it. And if you could get the emotional investment, games are so much fun. So much fun. So much fun. Cool. What do you think makes an ideal D&D player as a DM, as someone who runs games? No one is going to be your ideal player. No one is the perfect player. Everyone has strengths and weaknesses. You only are allotted a certain amount of ability points in Dungeons and Dragons. So you True. will be better at some things and not as great as others. Some things that certainly help are improv ability and general communication skill, being able to react to an event, a conversation, a joke, a whatever and make it seem natural, like you are in almost acting like that character, obviously makes things a lot of fun. 
because you can also just have a stoic, logical, fact-talking person, which is not right or wrong, but that's just a different kind of gaming experience there. But somebody who could take themselves out of it and be the character, awesome. If you're playing 3.5, math. (laughs) Uh, If you are um, more of a creative storyteller, just how to be engaging. I think is great. And that doesn't have to be, you have to be silly. You could be very serious and engaging. You could be suave and engaging. You can be goofy and engaging. You can be fierce and engaging. So whatever tone your character or your, you are as a person can handle, do that in an engaging manner. Do you ask a lot of questions? That's great. In character, you are the detective. Ask all the questions. That's great. Are you standoffish? And But if somebody pokes the bear, you're going to go crazy? Okay, as a DM, that's great. I'll be like, okay, here's some scenarios where I'm going to make sure you are at the center of it. Because if you want the bear to be poked, I'm going to do some poking. So <laughs> that's also good to understand your players' own personalities. I'm, once again, fortunate to play with people I know. So I know how to push buttons. That is something you can learn day zero. Like, what are what kind of personality type are you? I'm going to charge in swinging. Okay, I'm going to set this scenario up for you, and it is not going to go well. Or <laughs> this scenario is just for you. So yeah. a great player also gives the DM some feedback on how your character is. If you're up to shenanigans, maybe invite the DM along because they'll want to play along with it. But yeah, so there really is no perfect player, in my hmm. opinion. I like that answer, though. Everyone's good at different things and, and try to play to the strengths. Yeah. How is running a game like making a delicious meal? What do you feel like the skills are that translate across? This is a great example here. When you're going in for a meal, okay, you're going to the fanciest of restaurants and you want to have an experience. It's not just about how the food tastes. So you walk in, it's what do you hear? What do you smell? What does it feel like, the ambiance in your setting? What is the lighting? Is there overhead can lights or is there pendant lights that really illuminate the table in front of you so that when somebody brings out this masterpiece of culinary work, you see these vibrant colors from, let's say, this beautiful grilled lobster tail or these bright mm. orange colors and flecks of black from the natural you know, colors of the lobster. You kind of see that shell this basil oil that's incredibly aromatic, uh, that's reminiscent because you're in a location where basil is grown very regularly. Like the climate in the area is, is perfect for that. And you smell a little of that sea because you're in an oceanside cafe, some ringing in the background of fishing boats and things of that nature. And everything that I just said, overlay that into a Dungeons and Dragons experience. You're in a tavern. It's like smells of old beer and piss. When you open the main door, there's just a this huge squeak as if the hinges have not been oiled for who knows how long. But you do smell some smoked meat. Every That crazy description of how you would experience an amazing meal, how you'd think about developing a recipe, just do that. In a Dungeons and Dragons scenario, what you see, what you taste, what you hear, what you smell, all of your senses, because those are things people can relate to. I know what that smells like, or I know what that would sound like in a hectic bar with a lot of like glass bottles clinking and 
corks popping. You, you know what that experience would be like. So describe it like how I use real world things all the time. Like imagine going to a baseball stadium and you're in a trough urinal at Wrigley <laughs> Field or something like that. Oh, the troughs. And that same mentality of creating art, creating music, talk about the music of whatever, how the emotional connection to the song, you know, you walk into a bar and a bard is playing some somber, really sad song about a fallen warrior who tried his best. And those emotional cues, like a Harry Chapin country song, you know, like whatever, describe it as such. But all of those kinds of artistic things can really played together in any scenario. So if you're great at culinary, talking about food, think of that descriptor style in whatever you're doing in the game. I love it. I also love the restaurants whose ambiance is dark enough that my father-in-law has to pull out his phone flashlight to read the menu. That's my favorite. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've been there. been there many a time. Sure. Anyway. Now, a word from How Not to DM's sponsors. First up, let's start with a word from my friends way out in New Zealand, Dice Legends. Amidst the wreckage and recovery from war, a new secret war begins in the alleys, docks, gambling pits, and sewers of Aratai. A war of assassins, smugglers, crime lords for the underbelly of the city. Caught in this struggle, a bounty hunter and a thief for hire find themselves entrusted with the protection and life of a very special child. This is a story from the shadows of Aratai. Premieres November 12th on Dice Legends. The Shadows of Aratai is coming out very soon. It's going to be a five-part stream on Dice Legends stream, so check the episode notes for the link to their Twitch channel. Go ahead and follow it and make sure that you don't miss it. And if you do miss their live streams, then you can always watch their videos on demand later. Next up is a word from my friends at Two Weeks One Shot. That's Two's cast. Uh, Two Weeks One Shot have been really good friends of mine. I had one of their members of their podcast, Brian, on my show a while back, if you remember. Also, I'm going to drop this sneak peek here. I actually got invited onto their show as a Halloween guest. So check out their Halloween One Shot. It was super fun. I went with the most ridiculous character I could think of in true Two's cast fashion. So here's a quick promo for Two's cast. They are a podcast that play a different system for every one shot and usually do like two to five-ish episodes for each system. So great way to learn new systems and have a ton of laughs along the way. Without further ado, here's Two's Cast. Hey, everybody, we're the hosts of Two Weeks, One Shot, a tabletop RPG variety podcast. We play one-shot campaigns in a variety of systems. With a variety of guests from all around the TTRPG scene. And obviously, I bring a certain je ne sais quoi to every performance. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Two Weeks, One Shot. Are we ever going to have a serious discussion about playing furry pirates? No, 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 no,
Adventure Dice. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll recall Andrea and Blair being guests on my first season. In addition to Dice and other awesome TTRPG accessories they have available on their site, right now they're accepting pre-orders and orders for their advent calendars for the holiday season. No matter what holiday you celebrate, they have an advent calendar for it. They have ones of different sizes for different numbers of days for different budgets. So go check that out and find a perfect gift for the tabletop gamer in your life for the holiday season. If you use the code HN, the number two DM on checkout, that's HN2DM, five characters, you can get 10% off your order and you can help support the show because I get a little percentage of your purchases as well. So go check that out. Make your orders for the holiday season through Adventure Dice. That's adventuredice.ca and help support How Not to DM while you're at it. And finally, podcasteditors.online and videoeditors.online. Are you a podcast or video content creator who wishes you spent more time creating the content you love and less time doing the boring editing that bogs you down? Check out podcasteditors.online or videoeditors.online. See all of their awesome rates and offerings for editing content. Buy a few hours of editing a la carte or buy their bulk plans if you have more content that you need created. Check out the links in the episode notes for more information about both podcasteditors.online and videoeditors.online. And now let's get back to the second half of the show, starting off with Quickfire Chaos. This week on Quickfire Chaos, Chef Mike and I are going to talk about some of America's most popular fast food mascots and where they might fit in with races and classes or the alignment system of D&D. All right, I have two ideas. Shout out to my sister-in-law for thinking of one of them. I thought of popular fast food mascots and we decide what race and class they would play. Or we could do celebrity meals for uh, popular characters from like the Forgotten Realms or something like, you know, there was the, I don't know who, who all has had meals at McDonald's, tons of people, but like think of what their celebrity meal would be. What, what sounds more fun to you? I think I'm feeling option a, the mascots. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. So like Hamburglar. Exactly. Obviously we know he's stealing things. So a thief type character good disguise i would say i wouldn't know if i'd even go far as evil but maybe like he's, he's pretty chaotic right he's not like when chaotic, he gets caught, neutral, he's, he's like he's just doing it for himself he's not right. trying to hurt somebody he just loves the burgers yeah i feel like he's always remorseful when he gets caught too you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd say that that makes sense He's just a repeat offender. He keeps mm-hmm. coming back. Ronald, uh, Ronald yeah. the Bard, you know, oh. <laughs> he does not need an instrument. He could be vocal. In my games, yeah. bards can sing as their weapon of choice. But I cannot think of one mascot that would be like lawful good. You know, who's a just, loyal, positive. Everyone's trying to get your money. So at least it would be neutral good every uh, mascot ever i have some pulled up what about the jolly green giant i suppose he could be good right uh, it depends if he's gonna go to a brazilian steakhouse 
and yes. he's going to see a bunch of blasphemous meat eaters. What What do you think he would do? Step on them? Is he going to crush them? <laughs> yeah, probably. At least, mm, yeah, no, I, want I guess. Brazilian steakhouse. That sounds good. I mean, Jolly Green Giant kind of hangs out by himself. I think he's just more promoting the veg. Uh, he probably has a familiar, but I don't know if he'd be lawful. Yeah, yeah, maybe. maybe. Who else know. we got? Who else uh, we got? On this uh, the King, Burger King. <laughs> I'm trying to think of also like the scenarios that I've seen him in. So it's like appearing with the burger. Right. <laughs> My favorite commercial is where he like. The person wakes up and he's like right next to them with that creepy mask. And it said, wake up with the king, like for breakfast, you know, (laughs) man, that's creepy. It was so creepy. Yeah. The, the mask is really creepy. Uh, the, the king, when I was a kid was like a weird little whimsical, uh, animated guy. Right. Yeah. That's what I remember. I remember paper, little crown hats. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they still do that too, but. Yeah. yeah, once they switch to this king with that, that face and all the ridiculous uh, actions there. I'm thinking Warlock. He's probably sold his soul to someone, right, to appear that happy all the time and, and just be right. like... Right, he, he's just a king. He is not a deity. He's yeah. not the burger lord or burger god of the halls of burger, okay? He's just the king level, so he's probably puppet mastered by somebody for sure, guaranteed. And I bet you he has some evil intentions because Burger King doesn't come up with anything new. They just rip off other people's stuff. So he's yeah. probably some like, give me the information kind of, yeah, <laughs> evil. The Burger King is evil. You heard it here. You heard it here. Uh, okay, <laughs> how about Wendy? Wendy's a nice lady. As a character, like, I don't think we've seen her like do a lot of stuff you know what i mean you have the image of her i believe it is a dave thomas child and dave thomas seems like a stand-up dave thomas and that wendy's is probably if it's handed down a paladin of some kind of a just noble club maybe that's the one and only lawful good mascot because well now wait a second here wendy's social media is savage very no, it could be. So I don't know if how we interpret that, right? Because when is it her talking? The character, you know, is it her who's? I don't think it's from her because there's been some. They said some spicy things. You know, they'll clap back. They got no problem. So I don't know if Wendy, the character that we know nothing about, or Wendy's the brand, if we overlay on that, because then it could be like a double-sided ex-paladin used to be good, fell from grace now is trying to get back into good favor with the same overlord that is puppet mastering the Burger King. Whoever, oh boy, what a twist. Yeah. Whoever yeah. the Tiamat of burgers is. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right, the colonel. Well, there's been many colonels. There's been different actors playing the colonel. Yes, including Older Justice the Colonel. Yeah, Justice the Colonel. Um, I mean, I'm just going to assume he's evil. I would assume the Colonel is evil. You just have to, based on how he looks, based on every other assumption we shouldn't make on this human. If you know, I believe the Colonel is a real person, but he seems evil. Anybody who wears a white suit, right? Like you just know they're the bad guy. 
while eating fried chicken, you know how much it's grease insanity. stain and stuff is going to get yeah. on it? Come on. Crazy. <sighs> and it was probably right after Labor Day. I don't know. Oh, I'm not fashionable, but fashion the rules. Fauxpas. You're not yeah. supposed to wear white. Come on. Breaking <laughs> rules left and right. That's chaos. Chaotic evil. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. Uh, last but not least, uh, Caesar from Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. He's always got that spear, right? So probably a martial class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Probably a goblin-y type, you know? I can see a pizza, like a little pizza goblin. Doesn't necessarily have to be bad. Every every encounter I've had with the pizza pizza person uh, has been positive. When I was a little kid, they used to have the coolest play places where there was an arcade. You know, there were these places you'd go into and there's these big boxes with a TV and big buttons. I don't know if they have those anymore. They're called arcades. And you used to put a lot of quarters in and play all day. Um, like Gauntlet and Galaga and Gauntlet. the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> and the Simpsons game, Simpsons video game, Double Dragon, Beastmaster, you know, those kinds of games. And it was always awesome. So I would say I think he's a positive, a positive type individual. Yeah. Bestowing food upon all of those. Well, I guess everybody is, but it'd be funny if it was a goblin who's got like the polearm master feet so that they got a <laughs> bit of reach, you know? Just this this huge spear moving all the way. He's going oh, that'd yeah. be awesome. That would be fun. I think that's it. Um I'm trying to think if there's any other I guess you got Jack from Jack in the Box. Just chaos. Yeah, Jack is absolute chaos. Yeah. Come on. Also kind of creepy, yeah. right? Now he wears like a so. suit now, but he's still got the clown head. Yeah, this big, bizarre, pointy, like that little hat off to the side, not even on straight. Doesn't blink. His mouth doesn't move. Yeah. yeah. It's a mimic of a <laughs> of a mascot, if you ask me. <laughs> it, is, it is a mimic. No, you're not even real. You're not a real mascot oh, like Ronald. We were in uh, California last weekend, and we saw Jack in the Box, and I was like, oh, we should go, jokingly, and we didn't go. And I'm <laughs> Well, they're no Sorry. longer allowed in Illinois, because I think in the late 80s, early 90s, all the food safety issues, they're like, yep. never going to come back here. Yep. Not in Colorado when I was growing up, not in Utah. There was one in Idaho when I drove through one time. Anyway, I- I've seen a few around, but that's about it. Yep. I think we've uh, nailed down a lot of them, so that I think I think that's a success right there. Winning. Love it. Oh. All right. Uh okay, so you've talked about your day job, which is R and D and that kind of thing for mm-hmm. big food brands. You've done this for a long time. So you know food pretty well. And I feel like you probably have learned a lot about why people like food too. So why do you think that food is such a big part of tabletop games, you know, snacks, drinks, and everything. Why is that such a big part of the experience? First of all, because it's delicious. Second of all, it is nostalgic. Most people who are nerds who started playing games at a young age were eating little snackerinos and their juice boxes in the basement playing original Nintendo, (laughs) blowing in the system, or playing Hero Quest. And pizza rolls are available because you're a kid. And that's why the reason why McDonald's is so popular is not because it has the best food at all. It is nostalgic. It brings you back to a place. There is an emotional connection to flavors and foods. 
different types of foods from different regions tell a story. Why are potatoes so popular in Ireland? Why are chilies very popular in warmer climates? Why is French cuisine all highfalutin and classy? And then, you know, there's peasant food for underlings. Like, you only get whatever because this. And that shapes the culinary landscape of these areas we are in. So if you are telling a story, if you are talking about lore, if you are talking about economies and ecosystems and environmental impact and the terrain of the area, all of that information shapes what foods those people are eating. So not only in-game, which, you know, high elves would be a high fancy, we only eat the fanciest, most expensive exotic foods. Or are you a very poor underling eating slop or whatever all you could get? That's in-game. Out of game, it is now bringing you back to your childhood or to experiences you've had in your life. And again, there are thousands of reasons why you choose to eat what you do and what you like that are not, it tastes good. It could be, it tastes good for what I have upstairs. It tastes good on a budget, on my budget. It tastes good based on my dietary restrictions. There's so many other variables at play of why the food is served or whatever it is. So that just being involved in the game just, I think, completes a story, gets you again in that emotional space to play the game and fuel the fire to have some fun. I love it. For you, what is your perfect game snack lineup when you're getting down to play like what what would be the best case scenario of snacks that people have brought or that you make yourself that kind of thing? all right well it's strategic because you're touching stuff so you don't want cheetos or doritos you want maybe a plain tortilla chip that you could dip in a variety of things or a plain potato chip or a sandwich with bread that isn't too dirty pizza is great you can fold it up use a napkin and eat it so a lot of my choices are strategic of i'm not going to eat a warm tuna melt during my game because it stinks. And that's not what we're doing down here. So if somebody wants to get a little strategic in their food offerings, first of all, understand what your players, if there's any allergies or whatever, but you totally can develop some tasty things that make sense for the game that's going on. If it's you guys don't have breaks, You could just put cold sandwiches up and grab it when you want, or chips or whatever. If you take a purposeful break, oh, pizza's here, let's go! That is another fun event to kind of break things up. And then beer. Lots and lots of beer, for me at least. Or seltzers, or Malort, or whatever shot you want to... I've never tried Malort, but I've only heard good things. I got a bottle back there all the time. And apparently, like, back in the day, it was worse. Like, it's still... An acquired taste, I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> In the barrel, I was loved. They had a big billboard with Malord all over it. I thought they that did. was pretty cool. I recognize that. Yeah, I got a few buddies up in Chicago who are always arguing that you should boil your hot dogs instead of grill them. Um, and they've also talked about Malord. So, anyway. Are you sure they didn't say steam like a Chicago style hot dog? Maybe. I don't, I'll have to ask you. Chicago style is usually steamed hot dog and the bun is steamed. But. To each their own. Yeah, it's like a little softer bun with mustard. You know, it's Chicago-style toppings, celery, salt, pickles, tomatoes, all that fun stuff. But it's like Vienna beef style, 
Portillo's and those popular places, it's usually steamed. Steamed in the steamed bun. I'll have to ask him. Nathan, if you're listening, DM me and, and we can hash this out. Uh, <laughs> anyway. All right. I like it. Uh, I love a good charcuterie board. Meats, oh, yeah. cheeses, and crackers. That's perfect for me. Absolutely perfect for a game, too. And then I love, like, cookies or whatever. We usually play, like, two to three, four hours. So we're not doing those marathon sessions that, that you do. Um, yeah. You're not having a meal. You are yeah. just snacking, keeping you. Yeah. We haven't played in person in a while. We're still doing Zoom just because I have kids, they have kids, and the world is still doing what it's doing. But we'll probably get back soon. But one of the last few games, one of my players made the Ted Lasso recipe of cookies, like the biscuits. Oh, the yeah. And the first the batch boxes. he brought, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. The second batch he brought was so flipping good and as a dm i recommend you give experience points to your players who bring food and drinks so 50 experience points if you bring food 50 if you bring drinks bribery <laughs> also if you're the dm try to play at your house because everything nobody eats and everything nobody drinks stays at your house and you have a bunch of food now for ex- and you paid experience points for them it's true. I have a lot of right. half bags of chips and stuff that I end up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and when they come, you give the half bag back like, oh, yeah, I got chips. That was left over from the last game. They just didn't realize it. Genius. It. <laughs> uh, was it shortbread? The, the, the cookies? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it it looked, yeah. He shortbread. even like cut it mm. to make it look like that. Uh, I, I don't know what his recipe, where he got it from, but. Love it. Delightful. So you've talked about it in many places. You made a TikTok about it, talking about it in depth. Uh, you are the person that we have to thank slash blame question mark for oh, yeah. the McDonald's Szechuan sauce uh, from uh, Rick and Morty. I, I don't remember what season of Rick and Morty it was, but in the first episode of it was either the third or the fourth season. Third um, season is the third season. Okay. Oh yeah, I'll take your word for it. I remember this very clearly. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> I'm not going to explain the episode because it's too hard to explain, but he shows up to a McDonald's drive through in like 98 or 99 because he says that's when the sauce is available because it was uh, around for Mulan, like a Mulan promo. And he has been trying to get that sauce ever since. Anyway, I'll let you take it from there. So literally what you said happened. So they called out McDonald's. We want the Mulan sauce. And, you know, Rick and Morty fans are like Critical Role fans where they are fully invested and this is what we want. Here are our voices. Make it happen. Yes. So I don't work there anymore, obviously. But at the time, we gave away 10,000 bottles of Big Mac sauce as a promotion. Go in a restaurant, you get a free Big Mac. An owner-operator tweeted at me. He said, hey, Chef Mike, since we just gave everybody Big Mac sauce, shouldn't we give the people the Szechuan sauce? He saw that it was, you know, popular. We saw that it was. Now, I've been media trained multiple times. And when you work for McDonald's and you, like I did also the radio promos and spoke on behalf of the company, you go through rigorous media training. What should you say publicly and what you should not? How to phrase things, how to pivot and answer your hit your talking points versus saying the soundbite that they want you to say, and then you're in big trouble. So I knew I wasn't supposed to say anything at all, but I was like, you know what? I love Rick and Marty. I'm just going to quote tweet this with, and this is what I says. I'll see what I can do. 
Okay, so the, the no on-rapper said, we should bring Szechuan sauce back. I quote tweet, I'll see what I can do. Couple hours later, hundreds and hundreds of wheat, uh, retweets. The media, so news outlets, are headlines. McDonald's chef says he is bringing back Szechuan sauce. That is not what I said. <laughs> I never said that one, but it just blew up and took off. So I had to go to like the legal team, marketing, HR. I'm like, I did not say that. They didn't like that I quote tweeted the thing. And to this day, well, not anymore, but I was like, I didn't know that was going to happen. This guy right here. You're welcome, McDonald's. How about that? Uh, So then one thing led to another. It was hugely popular. We made four jugs, gave one to Justin Roiland. He loved it. Yada, yada, yada. A bunch of other, well, I got lots of stories about it, but. Right. All this stuff happens. Finally, we're going to bring it back to the restaurants because it was also McDonald's was launching a product I helped develop, which is these buttermilk crispy tenders. So they were the chicken strips. So they were using the Rick and Morty thing to promote that because it's chicken strips. What, how are we going to market it? Well, let's tie it with Rick and Morty stuff. McDonald's did not do it with Rick and Morty, if you understand my drift. Oh, so really? they made. They made a cup cup art that looked like Rick and Morty art, but was not Rick and Morty. Uh, So there's a whole bunch of legal things that happened after the fact of like, what you didn't even call us, but you called us out. It's our sauce. So neither of them, I think, are able to talk about the other anymore, but everything was awesome. They made a certain amount of collector cups. There was like 5,000 across the United States. D-Day. Everything oh God, this morning lines started growing outside of all these McDonald's like, oh, look at the news. Everybody wants this sauce. Here's the long lines. Some of those restaurants only got like five Rick and Morty Szechuan sauce cups. And people are lining up for that. We don't have any more. We got these other ones you've never heard of and like artwork that's kind of reminiscent of the show, but not really the show. And it just went, I got. As you would expect, the most horrific, hateful messages, DMs, to like it's my fault. I did. I I waited in line for four hours and didn't get it. And then the most horrific things you would expect the internet to say to you, I got all those. I don't care because these people don't know who I am. It had nothing to do with me. And I advised McDonald's the entire step of the way, me and some of the young like marketing people on McDonald's team. And then the creative agencies that they use, who is younger, this is going to blow up. You need to make it. A, but older executives who's never seen the show, like, what is this? This is not going to be, let's just do a thing and it's going to be good. We're like, no, this is bad news. It's just like if you try to promote, oh, we love Dungeons and Dragons. We're McDonald's here. Here's our critical roles bun that is not any way associated with critical role. We don't mention Matthew Mercer or anyone on the team. We're just like knocking it off. Could you imagine what critical role fans would be like, go F yourself. How could you, this is not real. You know, it's like against the rules in the fandom and McDonald's of course did not listen to subject matter experts. And it was a monumental failure or a success based on how it was literal global news. So I saw it from a tweet that got, blown out of proportion to 
people in Japan, China, what is Szechuan sauce? We don't even have that. It's not a thing. <laughs> like somebody came over and tried it. They're like, this is the least authentic thing I've ever tried in my life. It tastes, it was dropped off the menu because it's just not a very good sauce to begin with. It's okay, whatever. But it was just a global phenomenon for a little while. And it was so weird to see it from, like I said, a tweet to just over the top. It was so crazy. So speaking of food and nostalgia, was it that Justin Roiland remembered going and getting that sauce one time and was like, hey, I remember that being pretty good. And so he put it in an episode. hundred <laughs> percent. So and I think random. at that time, too, I mean, when you look at Rick and Morty season two and three, they were poking a lot of major brand, like calling out brands. That is a marketable thing to do for a show, calling out yeah. whatever, for whatever reason. I have a feeling now they probably, especially after the McDonald's stuff and lawsuits and all these things. No, excuse me, but probably don't call out brands like that much anymore. But yeah, it was crazy. It was so crazy. Like I DM'd him back and forth a bunch of times, like early on, like, this is awesome. It's like, yeah, man, I can't believe, thank you so much. This is great. And then even during the process, I'm like, dude, I tried to get them to get you guys to do the art, but they don't want to pay for it or whatever. What the heck, man? I'm like, I'm trying. Like, it's out of my hands now. I appreciate it. And then like when he saw Rick and Morty fans acting ridiculous I don't know if he necessarily blames, I think he's blaming McDonald's for us handling it wrong, making yeah. the Rick and Morty fans look ridiculous. So there's both sides of the story of your Rick and Morty fans were acting ridiculous, jumping on counters for a little cup of sauce. <laughs> McDonald's did not play ball or do it right either. So I think there was a little heat there from that. Um, yeah. But yeah, craziness. Insane. Insane. Uh, all right, shifting gears, you, you talked earlier about you talked to McDonald's about doing something with Critical Role early days, first season when not a lot of people knew about it, but you saw that it had a lot of potential. And shortly after you actually uh, left McDonald's, Critical Role played a one shot using a system called Feast mm-hmm. of Legends that a marketing agency just wrote for Wendy's because Wendy's thought, hey, this would yep. be kind of fun. So they ran that game. And when you saw that happen, did you feel a little vindicated? You know, did you feel a little, a little FOMO as well? Like, oh man, that could have been us. You know, what were the feelings like? I felt a couple of things first. Yeah. That could have been, and should have been us. So it was, I think season one was almost ending. It wasn't even ending yet. They were still in the geek and sundry office location. So I went and visited there. So McDonald's at the time, my mentor at McDonald's, who was in PR and comms of high up VP, we were going around and trying to convince McDonald's. So whenever you do anything, you need like a business case. So me, yep. v- high up executives of McDonald's and me, a chef who should not, you know, like I'm an R&D chef. This is not, although I'm good at this stuff, I, that's not what I was hired for. Right. But we went on a tour to talk to PlayStation, Xbox critical role folks we went to a university and had like a uh, digital marketing class hey if chef mike is the face of gaming at mcdonald's what would it be like and a whole class like made a bunch of projects based off of what if chef mike was the face of gaming for mcdonald's we did an activation at the video game awards so i had jeff Keeley fly in 
multiple times for meetings and how we could do stuff. I had lunch with him a couple times. Again, it's just like the Rick and Morty thing where I'm like, McDonald's, you need to do this. Let's play ball. And they just did not do a great job with what they did. But I got to go visit, yeah, the uh, the critical role set and all that stuff. So the Wendy's thing happened. First thing I was like, see, I told you that could have been us. I watched the entire thing. Yeah, me too. And I am very critical. It did not go well, and I did not like it. I liked it because I know Wendy's and I know what they're trying to do. But even the players are like, this is not what our fans want us to see us do. Like blatant brand, you know, Wendy's branding on everything. It got to the point where like even they were making jokes about how ridiculous this is to like a paid game that is very much just trying to promote their product. And I was like, you know what would have made a lot more sense if these brands had like a face of somebody in the tabletop role-playing game kind of community who already likes these things and can go in and not just throw up the brand over everything, but actually participate in the thing that all the fans love and amplify that, not just throw up the brand on it. I mean, I could not think of one person who would be good in that role of being a face who likes tabletop games, who works for the brands that could just visit and be a normal participant and not ruin. Oh, wait, that's me. Both of them could have used me in that scenario and they chose not to. So not selfish sounding like it has to be me. It could have been any of the brands. If you found somebody to represent your brand in that manner, it would make a lot more sense. So I think so. I mean, yeah, it was interesting to watch. I thought it was fun being outside the industry, but I know critters watched it and were like, "This is." I have no desire to engage in this whatsoever. So, <laughs> could have maybe been pulled off a little nicer. But yeah, I think you're right. I think there was a lot of potential. Um, but yeah, it was. It, yeah. Anyway, um, I, there might be bootleg versions of it floating around, but I don't know if they exist anymore. Like, I don't know if you can even watch it because they they got rid of it so fast. Oh, of the episode? Yeah, yeah. I doubt that. I'm sure they taken down. Like, you know, we're not we're not going to do this. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Uh, Ramji, who is one of my friends, he lives in Singapore. He wanted to know about, um, from your perspective, so I'm going to read what he says. Sorry. McDonald's has to deal with providing a strongly American brand, but in many cultures around the world without losing its identity. How do they avoid doing stupid things like making the, he like made up a name, Wujin Ninja Burger, which, you know, is obviously like kind of offensive. And what could Wizards of the Coast learn from McDonald's strategy in doing that across the, the, the globe? Oh. Yeah, great question, Ramji. This is very interesting. So McDonald's has the U.S., which is 80%, 85% of their business, and then they have the rest of the business globally. Really? It's that big? I didn't know it was such a big slice. Wow. Oh, yeah. U.S. is its, is its big brand. At least when I I don't know if things shifted and then this was also pre-pandemic, so I have no idea what the footprint looks like now. But in each region, there are professionals, whether it's chefs, R&D, food scientists, local marketing folk who tailor the menus to that region. A lot of times, too, for supply chain sake, food going across the globe is difficult. If you can source ingredients locally or at mm -hmm. least in the country closer to where the restaurants are, it just makes a lot more sense. So I think in the UK, they use the beef that they use is sourced from the United Kingdom and, and those kinds of things. 
So they really try to tailor the flavors and portion sizes and cost of things based on those locales. The United States, the biggest portion of the business, is the least, not worst quality, but it is the cheapest, fastest version of McDonald's. A U.S. consumer does not care about cool flavors. They want it fast and cheap. Every other country that has McDonald's either has better food, more expensive, looked at quality-wise a little better, and people are willing to wait longer. It is very much tailored to those consumers. I'm assuming Wizards of the Coast, Dungeons and Dragons is a global thing. And we already know that in the past, some of the books, the content, how it's written, how things are depicted, descriptive, very much were offensive, also could be offensive, depending on who's reading or interpreting it, whether it was on purpose or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, And all those scenarios, there may be huge cultural differences that in this game rules and the background in some other country that just has a different way of living. It might be incredibly offensive to them versus here in the United States. So I'm assuming they have creators, writers, folks, when you are trying to translate this game into other languages in other parts of the country who need to look at the content and understand, okay, This may fly in this country, but it is not going to fly in that country. The difficult thing to understand, and this is only in my opinion, that doesn't mean right or wrong. You may in one country, wait a second, but that's not how we mean it. That's not how we're interpreting it. That's not fair versus the other side of we want it to be inclusive. We want it to have this content. And that is a fine line of we are tailoring it towards that country. As a business, that makes sense. Morals, your personal views on topics is a whole other thing, which is why it is so difficult to comprehend launching a game like this across the globe and not upsetting people. You're going to upset people in some kind of scenario for whatever. Every race and class can't be good, bad, or in the middle. That's not... Why not? We've automatically... We're not going to get on that soapbox, but you know what I mean? Depending on who's viewing it, it could be interpreted in all these different ways. So hopefully, I'm assuming Wizards of the Coast uses regional folk to determine how the game is presented in all those countries to make it a little more accepting. And if not, then they they should be, right? (laughs) Anyway, I'm I'm sure they do something like that. Yeah, and if they're not, yeah, that's probably bad news. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah, cool. All right. Uh, last couple questions here. Uh, what's been the most fun connection or experience you've had since kind of becoming more involved in the TTRPG community? Um, being on Dragon Talk was a lot of fun. There was a lot of opportunities that I got because I was an employee of McDonald's. A lot of those opportunities went away as soon as I walked out the door. Oh, you're not with McDonald's anymore? Well, uh, yeah, I get, we're busy. I can, you know, so obviously I know a lot of opportunities are because they wanted that McDonald's call out. But what was funny is the trip was booked and I left McDonald's two weeks prior to dragon talk. So they're like, Hey, we're going to ask you all these questions about McDonald's. Once I got there, I was like, yeah, you could ask. Uh, I haven't worked there for two weeks now. So I'm on my own. Oh, 
So the, I think the tone of the conversation changed a little bit. They kept wanting to talk McDonald's-related stuff for branding, and I made it more about myself. But it was still so awesome to be in the beast and go see where the games are made, go see what is the dragon's name on the floor about Betty? What was the dragon's name? In their office, they have, a, they have a dragon-like statue, a huge one, and she has a name. I forgot what it was, but I have a picture next to it so that kind of thing was awesome and again being able to go see the table that critical role played at getting a swarovski crystal d20 from dungeons and dragons which is the coast like like i said before i was on the list for a little while i'll promote whatever you want to send me i got all the things being in a position where brands just want to send you stuff like that blew my mind like i'll pay for all of this and you want to send it to me for free like validation of yes i do love this game thank you so much that was pretty awesome to uh to experience so yeah it sounds like a lot of fun i chatted with shelly i got to be on a couple episodes as like the b guest you know not the main the main guest <laughs> we but, like, five the, minutes left uh derek's yeah. gonna <laughs> exactly exactly no, and shelly i really appreciated it i'm not saying that i didn't like it and if you want me on again i'm happy to be and, and you know <laughs> and just i'm not mad that they wanted mcdonald's kind of like yeah. i'm very well aware that's what you wanted and i think in the episode when you watch it like i talk a lot about the mcdonald's stuff and i once again tried to convince mcdonald's to play along and be partners with y'all i'm so sorry i tried to steer the ship so yeah, at the end of the episode here, I'd love to know what your parting words of wisdom, encouragement, advice are for aspiring or maybe more experienced DMs out there. What are some of your words of advice to uh, people out there who are running games, who who are thinking about running games? What's some advice people have given you or that you've kind of learned from experience that you would tell them? You know, I certainly want to hit the point, like I said in the beginning of find your style. Second, do not compare yourself to anyone else, any other DM. It happens all the time. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. I could tell you the Mercer effect, but that's literally like it. How come you're not as good as this pro who's absolutely amazing at it? Yeah, because that's not me. So if you don't like it, you could go play some other game somewhere else where you could find a Matthew Mercer, which you never will. So good luck with that. But take some feedback, take some appropriate criticism like oh you know if your players are starting to tell you that my character arc i i'm looking to be you know start off kind of scraggly and then become stoic over time well listen to the feedback of your players they kind of will guide your journey on story on what they want their experience to be so you do really need to listen to them on what they're trying to do but really if you've never done it before just get in there. Once you do like play some BS games, like do it a couple times, one shots just to get a feel for it. I had a player who played for like five or six years and was like, I want to DM, but I don't know if I'd be really good at it. So then I started asking her questions. I'm like, well, what do you think? Like, what kind of setting would you want to do? Well, I want to do this, that, and the other. And like, how many players do you think you want? Oh, maybe do five or six. And what would be like the arc? Well, I'd want to do this. You've just laid out the entire game. Why are you not doing this? You're a music and arts teacher. You are ultra creative. You would be amazing at this. Why are you doubting yourself? You just got to kind of get in there and do it. So I have no problem with co-DMing. That might be a great strategy. If you are a great storyteller, 
but have no math or rule set or a lot of reading and memorizing of rule sets, two DMs. I would love to be in that scenario someday because I am not as great with the rules. So if I could be like, hey, let's, hey uh, you know, yeah, that's, that's why that happened. You can't do that. That's a reaction. You already had one this turn, so you cannot, you know, like that kind of, somebody could keep track of that. Yeah. But yeah, I think the most important is find your own style. And if the players don't like it, it might be try not to adjust your style for the players. It might not be a good player DM uh, mix there. It might just need to find another game. So try to remember that. Sometimes it is a bad player and DM relationship. It might not be you. So take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, it happens. It happens all the time. Uh, excellent. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Chef Mike. Where can people find you on the internet? Where are you active most? Uh, any upcoming things you want to chat about? I'm on a, almost all the socials. Just look up my name and it's spelled just like it sounds. Harris. H-A-R-A-C-Z. Harris. Just search that. You'll find me. I've been doing a lot of TikTok lately because all the brands are going on in TikTok. So I'm just trying to build a following over there. And as you would expect, I'm leveraging being a former McDonald's chef, even though I'm sure they hate it and I don't really care. I'm using it to gain a following so that once I have a big following, maybe McDonald's will want to pay me money to promote their brands. Or Wendy's is going to be like, hey, you got to be the McDonald's chef on TikTok. Now we're going to do another Wendy's thing with you. Or I just become TikTok famous and some other brand wants to use me for whatever. So you can find me on the TikTok, on the Twitter on all the things. I have a YouTube channel called Chef Mike Does Stuff. Have not uploaded anything in a while because I've been doing the TikTok shenanigans. So email me, message me, AOL chat rooms uh, every Wednesday night at the Northwest Chicago Suburban chat room from like a 9 to 10 p.m. As long as my mom isn't on the phone, I'm there. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very specific. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I wonder how many people listening have experienced that a chat room i don't understand yeah. your mom on the phone i don't yeah yeah dial up maybe oh man those were the days excellent well thanks so much for joining me chef mike's been a blast chatting about all sorts of different stuff i know who i'm gonna talk to about the bear now you're my guy on twitter where we can we can chat about it so look for a future the bear jokes and tweets there um all right thanks so much for joining me have a great rest of your day right, you as well Thank you so much for listening to How Not to DM. Now it's time for a sneak peek into next episode's guest, game designer Anthony Joyce Rivera. My players shot a grappling hook across the uh, lava river and tried to do like an escape. And as they're escaping, one of the characters, he falls into the lava and he's melting. And then all the characters try to save him. And then another one falls in the lava. And so they're all falling in the lava. <laughs> Uh, melting and I'm like what I'm like if you literally hit these fire dudes like one time they have like five hit points they're gonna die but they just it was just hilarious to watch I'm trying to give all the signs like you know the fire dudes look really weak or whatever and they just didn't buy what I was saying to hear more about Anthony's funny game stories and about his best advice for building a game design and content creation team tune in next week remember to check out my patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks 
Here's a friendly reminder to rate and review the show and share it with your friends and family who play TTRPGs as well. New reviews will be read out at the end of the episode as a thank you. And speaking of new reviews, I've got quite a few to read through today, so let's go ahead and jump into those right now. From Arcane Dice Podcast. Always amazing, always entertaining. Should be on everyone's playlist. Thanks a ton, Arcane Dice Podcast. You're a good pal. From Matthew Brown 4872 Love the show, always interesting, and lots of great tips. Thanks a ton, Matthew. Thanks a ton to all three of you. Those reviews came from a site called Podchaser. I like Podchaser because I can go and search through guests that have been on podcasts before if I want to find their contact information or whatever, but also a good place for reviews. If you don't want to go on Podchaser, you can always go to Apple Podcasts and drop a review there, and I'll happily read it at the end of the next show. Thanks a ton, you three. Let's wrap this thing up with my thank yous for music and for production and editing. Thank you to the team at T4C Studios, The Dragon, for help editing and producing this episode. As a reminder, if you are a content creator, either podcast or video, check out videoeditors.online or podcasteditors.online, as it's the same team who helps produce this show as runs of those websites. Another quick reminder before you go, if you could hit up the episode notes or go to my link tree and go follow our project Too Hot One Shot, I know you won't be disappointed. It's going to be a ton of fun and we're launching the Kickstarter very soon, so I want to get as many people paying attention to it and noticing it as possible. Thanks again for your support. I really appreciate it. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Xcat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music that plays underneath while we're roleplaying is by Arcane Anthems. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And as always, until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.